0: Getting shot and killed was always fun. I enjoyed it immensely. I was shot, killed, and bayoneted multiple times, hundreds of times by my friends. The best thing about it was it didn't hurt. I got to come right back to life again. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Cops and robbers. Cowboys and Indians. Americans and Japanese. Or Germans, that's the one I like to play because in my generation, most of us had grandfathers or uncles who fought in World War II and we'd seen all the movies. You can just imagine what kids played 150 years ago or more. Hey, let's play North and South. Colonists and redcoats. Today's kids, well, (laughs) cowboys and Indians is not a thing anymore. Too inappropriate and all those... Besides, all those Wild West TV shows are long forgotten. No, today your kids are playing superheroes and villains. Or just some form of generic good guys and bad guys. It's it's still the same, though. When you die, you lie there on the grass for a few seconds, depending on the agreed-upon rules, and then you spring back to life. The best thing is, it doesn't hurt. But give it another 20 years or so, and death begins to hurt because it becomes more real. Those grandparents, those aunts and uncles you have, well, they start to die. You start paying more attention to the news where you hear about people dying all over the world every day. And then you get even older and things begin to die around you. Institutions that were a part of your life. Maybe even the company you worked for. Places you like to visit closed down. Buildings demolished. Things you used to buy are no longer available. TV shows you watched canceled. Traditions fade away. Values change. Marriages and friendships sometimes die. Everything in life seems to have a life cycle. And we do a lot of fighting against it, don't we? We expend a lot of energy and money and time keeping stuff alive. And that's especially true when it comes to the church. You know, we keep programs alive, missions alive, buildings, traditions, memories, until the stuff is on life support, and eventually we have to pull the plug and say goodbye. Life is important to people of faith. Life is important to people of faith in Jesus. He is our heart pumping blood, and we need more of that, more of Him. And when you think about His story and our faith story, the more we remember it's a story about coming back to life. Resurrection. And along with that is a is a kind of uncomfortableness about resurrection, because before a thing resurrects, a thing has to die, and it hurts. Each week, when I return to the office, almost the first half of my Tuesday morning is spent sifting through emails and junk mail that the church gets. And the funny thing is is that that's also a story about dying because 90% of the stuff that's peddled to churches today is about fighting against death. Almost every advertisement, every conference, every religious newsletter is five steps to grow your church. Pastor, you need to be doing this or doing that. Your church needs to be this or that or you won't make it. Buy our program and follow these easy steps and increase your church attendance and giving. I get it. We all get it, right? Nobody wants their church to go on life support. We want to be about the business of life and resurrection. Now, I'm not saying we all must give up and kill the church off so that we can come back to life again. I'm saying that when something is dying, we should take notice and say, it's okay to go. The church has had to see a lot of things or had to let a lot of things go within it and die. Walther League, how many of you remember Walther League? Lutheran Youth Encounter, part of the school here. LWML, the Linden Trees all around the sanctuary. As people of the church, we all need to be hospice chaplains to aged dreams and say, it's okay to go. Sometimes the sacred decay nourishes the soil for new growth. Think about how Naomi felt. Death was all around her. She lost her husband and her two sons-in-law. She was on the brink, ready to go back where she came from and just die. Like many a church who remembers the day of packed Sunday schools and overflowing church services, Naomi dwelt in the past. She could not see the future. She was so bitter that when she returned to Bethlehem, she changed her name to that, bitterness. She felt like a failure, worthless and pointless, but God never saw her that way. Naomi didn't realize it, but the decay of her spirit and even her faith, amidst all that, another life was being saved. A conversion was happening with her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And what an unlikely partnership in the first place. Moabites were despised by the Jews and vice versa, but Israel had long been mixing herself in with the other peoples around her, so it's, you know, that was probably a sign of the times that Naomi's two sons married outside the faith, outside the nation. So you got these two women who, under normal circumstances at the time, are mortal enemies. On top of that, they're both widows, which in ancient Judea, was a death sentence in itself. Nobody wants widows. They're a burden. The old laws of Moses had it that any widow would be taken into the dead husband's brother's home and taken care of, but that didn't always work for some, and it wasn't always followed. The average lifespan for a man at the time was 35, and for a woman, 55 So you can imagine there were a lot of widows back then. That's why the Christian church began to, you know, when it began to do things in the community, taking care of widows and their children was one of the prime, one of the chief missions of the church. But that wouldn't happen for until a thousand years after Naomi and Ruth lived. Nevertheless, God had his eye on both of them, especially Ruth. He has big plans for her. She will be no less than the ancestor of Jesus Christ. She's the great grandmother of David, king of Israel. As the church, it would be easy to think our glory days are done and our value in society is a thing of the past. But don't think this. God does big things through His people, including the the church basement ladies, the quilting ladies. He does big things to the the child who's brought here to our preschool and attends chapel, the children who attend VBS. He does big things to the people who work the donation closet, the senior group, the youth group, and so on. See, the world would value us by our numbers. And I know I shared with you some interesting numbers last week, but God doesn't value us by God values you and me in His strange and upside-down kingdom where marginalized widows get a whole chapter in His book while important men and leaders of Israel are forgotten and lost completely. I mean, how many of these judges that are spoken about at the beginning of the book of Ruth can you name? I can't name any of them. <laughs> you yeah. God knew them. He knew them all, but he tells us of these two women. And a second marriage to Boaz that would produce a son. Who would have a son? Who would have a son? Who would have a king? And generations later bring forth the king of kings, Jesus. And this king would lay down his life for you and me and die a death that certainly hurt very much excruciatingly so. Not only the physical pain of being nailed to a cross, but also the mental and emotional pain of being forsaken by the Father. All for the atonement of sin for you and me. So that we would not feel the sting of death. We will one day fall down and die, but thanks be to Jesus, we will spread, Best thing is, it won't hurt. We will see God face to face and worship Him in His presence forever with Naomi and Ruth and David and all the saints, including our ancestors who were given faith and believed. So, let us ask the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, when you act in ways we don't always understand, direct us to our baptism There you bound yourself to us in forgiveness and love so that, like Naomi and Ruth, we will see you clearly and enjoy the life you've given each of us forever. Amen.